3, as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Again, if you missed Sunday morning's breakneck speed of three verses in Daniel, <laughs> read ahead, we're going to get three more, I think. Yeah, well, you people are spoiled around here. We'll see how far we could get tonight, Ezekiel chapter 3, let's pick it up in verse 16. Ezekiel chapter 3, now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them a warning from me. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our night. We thank you, Lord, for a time of worship and fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for those serving in children's ministry and youth ministry. Father, that this message goes over our radio station and, Father, across the country. We are blessed to be your servants of the Most High God. And, Father, that we would spend time now learning, growing, and being challenged. So thank you, Lord, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we uh, kind of got into the introduction with Ezekiel. We saw that there was no such thing as UFOs. A little quiet in the room. <laughs> UFOs are such a big deal right now. Congress is having... Okay, just be careful about what comes out of government, what comes out of, you know, tabloid magazine. Do you remember when the Inquirer used to be kooky? Now, if you don't know what I just said, you're young. You need to Google that. <laughs> it's bad when the Inquirer becomes the serious publication and the New York Times becomes the Inquirer. Just saying. And we talk about how they're not from outer space, they're from inner space. They're demonic. And I was listening to somebody this week, and just to hit this point, and then we'll kind of get off of it for the next seven years, which, won't that be nice, is that, do you know that there is something called the laws of physics, right? We have known laws in the universe, and you cannot violate them. How many of you know about the law of gravity? <laughs> yes, the older I get, I realize the law of gravity. Well, you can't violate those laws, so if something that, is that you see or people see in the sky is violating the known laws of the universe, it cannot be real because they are what? Known laws of the universe and they cannot be violated. Nobody can violate those. So that's kind of one of the heads up on, on that. Uh, and listen to last week's message. We kind of talked about that. And now as we see... Um, Ezekiel's ministry getting going. In the beginning of this chapter, God said, I'm going to send you to the children of Israel, and they're not going to listen to you. <laughs> Great. I love that ministry. What, I'm going to go to a people? Yeah, yeah, you're going to go to a people. They're hard-headed. He says that. They're hard-headed. They're not going to listen to you. But as we'll see tonight, it doesn't matter. You need to go to them anyway. Whether they listen to you or not, it's important to be a watchman on the wall. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, son of man, this becomes Ezekiel's phrase that God uses for him. He said, I've made you a watchman 
to the house of Israel. Therefore, notice, hear the word from my mouth and give them a warning from me. Let me do my end piece first and then I'll get into this verse. I would like you to highlight, give them a warning from me. This is what God is calling us to do. He is not calling us to save anybody. Isn't that good news? Our job, though, however, is to warn people, is to give them the information. It is not to be a James Bond secret Christian. It is to give them what they need to make an informed decision. Amen? Amen. And that's what he's going to tell us through this section of Ezekiel. But if you thought being a prophet was, man... I would have loved to have been a prophet in the Old Testament. After tonight's study, I think you're going to rethink that. Because God's, the men of God were called to do very tough things. And if you didn't read ahead, you'll see what Ezekiel had to do to proclaim the gospel. I titled the message, Let the Play Begin. Because, as we will see, God will use pictures and types, parables, to get across to the hard-hearted, stiff-necked children of Israel. And I know what you're thinking. That doesn't apply to anybody of us, or is it? Sometimes God uses different ways to get our attention. He uses a message, but oftentimes he'll use something else. In our day, we have visual mediums. A movie might impact you more. The passion of the Christ might be much more impactful than you just saying Jesus was crucified. So I love how there's nothing new under the sun. And God, God uses different things to get people's attention. And he will do that tonight. And he tells us that we need to give them a warning. And so he charges Ezekiel to be a watchman on the wall. You see, God used the figure of a watchman, to describe Ezekiel's responsibilities and duties. Not only here, but also in Ezekiel chapter 33, he fulfills his role as watchman, not primarily by observing others, but by faithfully proclaiming God's word and bringing God a warning to the people. And you need to hear that. It's a warning that God is giving, but it's by God's word. It's not by my opinion. It's what I, what I see God's word played out in our life today. Again, a watchman was used several times in the Old Testament, from Isaiah to Jeremiah to Hosea, and now with Ezekiel. The watchmen were stationed on city walls and hilltops for a specific design. They had a specific purpose. The watchmen to, were to alert Well, the people in the town, but they were to uh, notice the uh, impending danger or the enemies that were on the horizon and to give a warning and to sound an alarm. A good watchman would not just be quiet. He would see the danger and he would react to that. Again, God is calling Ezekiel in this section and through this book as God's mouthpiece. It's his siren. How many of you have been woken up in the middle of the night to one of those emergency alarms going off? Hurricane warning. In California, we've used them for fires, for earthquakes, for nuclear power plants. You see them on the roadways, and what are they for? They're a warning that something bad has happened, and to wake up. 
and become alert to what's happening. So God is going to use that. He's going to use Ezekiel as his watchman. Again, the watchman was to be awake and aware when others were asleep. Let me say that again. The watchman was to be awake and aware when others were asleep. You see, pastors are called to be shepherds. And, sh- and a shepherd is somebody who watches for those things that might damage the sheep or create harm or even death. And the watchman or the shepherd, it's vital inside of the local church. But all too often, many shepherds are not warning the sheep. They themselves are asleep. It's not good when the watchman's asleep. By the way, this is just free. The Romans, if you were caught sleeping on your watch, you, were be, you would be put to death. Yes? That's an interesting addition to the story of Jesus' resurrection. Because no Roman soldier would be caught sleeping or he would be put to death. So we are called to be watchmen, and I want you to see that once again in verse 17. Give them a warning from me. It is not from us, it is from God's word. And this is what he says. Now when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you will give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, and to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now, again, I don't want you to think to yourself that you are going to die. (laughs) Because we are under the blood of what? The Lamb. Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness when we give our life to him. And so this, yes, is an Old Testament principle, but part of it applies, and aren't you glad the death part doesn't? But that doesn't mean we are not to, that's why I wanted you to highlight that, to warn people. Well, I don't want to get in anybody's business. Hey, wouldn't it be good to know that in five minutes an earthquake was going to destroy this whole building, but what if in four minutes I walked right out? Where's Pastor Ron going? Guys, there's an impending doom coming upon this Christ-rejecting world. Again, it it is up to them to accept or reject the message of hope and of Christ. But I, I do believe it is beholden upon us as examples to at least say, listen, are you sure? I mean, if I'm totally wrong, okay. But if I'm right, there's eternal consequences for the choices that you make. So he tells us to warn. But not just the wicked. He says in verse 20, Now again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, yes, that can happen. Somebody can fall away. Somebody can backslide. And it says, and lays a stumbling block before him, then he shall die. And the idea isn't eternally, but physically. Now, because you did not give him a warning, 
He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, but he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took a warning also, and you will have delivered his soul. Now, a righteous, when it came to the Old Testament, was this man. The righteous was essentially the man who showed his good living by adhering to the covenant of specifically Moses' covenant and went without saying that he was, he was aware of his obligations and his religious observance when it came to Judaism. They were considered a righteous person. Now keep your place here. Let's turn to James chapter 5. Briefly, just look at this. James 5, New Testament tells us, verse 19, brethren. Uh, who's the brother? That's us. Those inside of the body of Christ. Believers in Jesus Christ. He calls us brethren and he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, now, he's specifically talking about those inside of the church. He's not talking about the pagan outside, the unbeliever. He's talking about those inside of the church. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, you can add next to it, warns them. That's all they're doing. Let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his ways and will save a soul from death and covers a multitude of sin. Now, again, it is not eternal death. It is the consequences for our actions that leads to physical death. What he is saying is, God would like to keep you around for a while. But if you warn them and say, hey, fella, the person that you have in your life, hey, I, I, I notice that you're in sin. And listen, if you continue down that path, I don't know that you are going to survive all that long. That person, notice, if they turn them back, they save them. Again, go back now to Ezekiel. It is fulfilling verse 17. We are giving them a warning. That is what God is calling us to do. He is not calling us to save anybody. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you know this, but the Holy Spirit's got a job. He doesn't need a helper. His literal name is called the helper, the paracletus. He doesn't need your help. Mm -hmm. Now back into verse 22 of Ezekiel 3. Then it says, Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there. Now, God had just instructed him and given him his marching orders. It's that he is a warner. He is a watchman on the wall. He said, The hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise and go into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. And so I arose and went into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. Now, if you were with us last week, that's what he saw in chapter 1, something that he could barely describe. And again, that we have no idea visually what it was. But whatever it was, notice the posture of Ezekiel. What is it? On his face. Now, I don't want to get into this because I don't want people to send me emails and books 
But you know when people have the so-called vision of heaven? The glory of the Lord should cause this response in, in everybody. And that doesn't always happen. And so what does that lead me to believe? Maybe that's not exactly what they experienced. In the Bible, when I see people seeing God's glory, or even an angel like John the Revelator in Revelation, he literally fell on his face. Now, good thing Bob the angel said, now get up, fella. <laughs> Don't worship me, worship God. And so we see when, when we see God's glory, we see people face down. Amen? That is the proper place for God's creation. <laughs> Well, you know what happened in chapter 1. It happens here too in verse 24. Well, then the Spirit entered me and set, set me upon my feet. Oh, the Spirit of God lifts him up and puts him on his feet. And he spoke with me and he said, Go shut yourself into your house. All right, the play is beginning. God's going to ultimately tell Ezekiel, Listen, they are not going to listen to your words. And because they're not going to listen to your words, we've got another option. And what we're going to use is parables. This is what was so masterful about what Jesus did. Now, I say that, but he's God. And, of course, everything he did was, uh, was right on. Yes? <laughs> but God tells Ezekiel, listen, uh, we're going to have to employ some different methods. And so I'm going to have you do a couple of things that are going to seem kooky. But the ultimate result is always going to be this. Why is Ezekiel doing that? For years, people were going to say, why is Ezekiel doing that? Why is he, what is he eating? Wait, didn't he used to have hair? All of these things that God is going to require of Ezekiel is going to cause a response from Israel. And then Ezekiel is going to use that as an illustration and a talking point and something that they would be able to then hear from the Lord. And so, he says, O son of man. <laughs> um, where did I go? Uh, go? Oh, yeah, yes. Verse 25. O son of man, uh, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them, and so that you cannot go out and come in among them. Now, um, I have told you this many times. Sometimes in the Bible, we're, we're not real clear on what or who the they or the... <laughs> this is one of those verses. We don't know who it is. is. Is it the children of Israel? Is it his relatives? If it's relatives, that's mean. But the idea here is that we're using things. So it's like, why is Ezekiel tied up in his house? And then when he's let out, again, he's able then to speak. Not only that, it says, and I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. Now, um, far be it for me to question, but a prophet's job is to what? <laughs> to profit, to proclaim God's word, the warning. Can you imagine? We've been listening to Ezekiel for weeks. Why isn't Ezekiel talking? See the point? God uses all of these little things to start getting the attention of God's people. 
And then in verse 27, it says, But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of God, who hears, well, let him hear. And he who refuses, all right, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. Kind of sounds like God is saying they're a rebellious house. Something sounds familiar, isn't it? Again, when Ezekiel is speaking, he is speaking for God. He's speaking God's ma- uh, he is speaking God's message. Israel is a rebellious house. And they would have to answer for their own sin. And they could not ever claim that they did not what? Here. Listen, at the end of the day, let's just call your friend Bob at work. And Bob is standing at the great white throne judgment. And he declares, God, I didn't hear this message about grace and love and the cross. And God says, roll tape. Kind of dates everybody, huh? Tape. No tape today. Roll the digital MP4. And there it is, you, your giant face on the giant screen in heaven, declaring to Bob the gospel. Bob, you did know. You rejected the message. And the point is that God wants us to be that watchman. He wants us to say, listen, judgment is coming. It's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it is coming. And you have to make a decision today. There is no second chances. He also says, he who hears, let him hear. Let the hearer hear. And let those who reject, reject. No chapter break. Chapter 4. Now, You also, son of man, take a clay uh, tablet and lay it before you and portray on it the city of Jerusalem. Again, God knew that the children of Israel were not going to listen to Ezekiel. He already said that they were hard-headed. And so instead, Ezekiel is going to put on a visual performance as examples and parables to what God was trying to communicate. So, it is no different than you and I watching a video, except, well, you'll see. <laughs> Ezekiel has a tough part to play. So he first says, Ezekiel, I need you to get a, a, ta- a, a clay tablet. Now, this was something that they would write on. Uh, it would be soft, and then ultimately they would let it bake, and that's what we find underneath the soil today. If you go to Iraq, you will find clay tablets all over the place in the city of Babylon. So he says, I want you to draw on it Jerusalem. So you can imagine he's got a a clay tablet and he's drawing the walls of Jerusalem. Maybe he's putting on the gates and he's putting everything on it. And so he says, lay siege against it. Against what? Against the clay tablet. He says, build a siege wall against it and heap up a mound against it and set camps against it also, and place battering rams against it all around. How many of you men, some of you ladies could have done this as well, 
How many of you men spent hours and hours and hours in the backyard with Hot Wheels? <laughs> Army men? Fire crackers. Thank you. Some southern boys over here. <laughs> right? You, you built this little thing and you put the pieces all around. That's, that's the visual here. Here's a grown man. You could just hear him, can't you? Lord, you want me to do what? I want you to go to the dollar store and get a pack of army men. Okay feel kind of weird playing with things in the dirt. And you know, of course, he, when he started, he was having a fun time. He was building all of this stuff. <laughs> and again, he's giving a visual. But you can imagine how strange it looked to everyone else in the town. A grown man sitting down in the dirt with a clay tablet of Jerusalem and then building little siege mounds all around with little figures and horses and chariots all around. It says, moreover, take for yourself now an iron plate and set it as an iron, as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face against it and it shall be besieged and you shall lay siege against it and this will be a sign, notice, to the house of Israel. Ezekiel made an unbreakable barrier between himself and the scene that he created. The symbolism of the barrier between God and Jerusalem, meaning that God would not intervene and rescue Jerusalem in this coming siege. No matter what that is going to happen, the siege is going to happen, and as we'll see today, many will die from that siege. But it is not God's fault. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet, We've gone through most of those minor prophets. How many times did God warn them over and over and over? Listen, this, this earth is ripe for judgment. God has sent prophet after prophet after messenger after messenger, and it's just getting kookier by the minute. I mean, beyond kooky. It is ready. Well, in verse 4, for those of you thinking that you would like to be a prophet... Maybe not. Now, I want you to lie on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of days that you lie on it. You shall bear their iniquity. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine you as Ezekiel. You're like, okay, I can get the army men. I can get playing with hot wheels in the dirt. And what you say, I need to lay on my left side. Okay, I can do that. Lord, I can lay on my side. Well, verse 5 says, For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of days, 390 days, so you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. Uh, what was that, Lord? Uh, Ezekiel, I need you to lie on your left side for 390 days. Is there another ministry? Can I become a nonprofit? <laughs> See, things sound fun, doesn't it? Being a prophet of God. Until he calls you to do the hard things. How do you know someone is, is truly a servant of the Most High God? When somebody treats you like a servant. Oh, I don't like that. 
I like being called a servant, but I don't want to be, oh, I have to be a servant? It's the be attitudes. Yes? Oh, now you thought of it. <laughs> I have to be that? Yes. Be them. Warn people. And sometimes God asks us to do some really crazy things. Like build a giant boat. No one's ever built a giant boat before because no one's ever seen rain before. Sometimes God is calling us to do something that he knows is impactful for other people. But for you at the moment, it just seems crazy. (laughs) I love the way this is. And I love Ezekiel and you are too by the time we're done. All right, well, I can do the, I guess I'll do the 390 days. And when you've completed it, oh, good, I get a break. No, lie on your right side, and then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. And I have laid on you a day for each year. By the way, please don't think that he laid there on his side that whole time. He probably was allowed to have a potty break, (laughs) go inside. The idea is that every single day when people went to the market, and don't you think this was in a public place? Every day. There's Ezekiel. Crazy Ezekiel. I I bet you there's a guy selling t-shirts next to him. Crazy Ezekiel t-shirts. Have you seen the crazy? I mean, people think of these weird things about us as believers. And there he was laying there. And then what happened? Wait a minute. Honey, did you see Ezekiel today? No. He's on his right side today. What's that about? Do you see the point? It's a point of engagement. And then he says, Therefore you shall set your face towards the siege of Jerusalem, and your arms shall be uncovered, and you shall prophesy against it. And surely I will restrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. All right, Lord, I got the laying on the side. Is that enough? Nope. Let's go to the food. Verse 9. Also take for yourself wheat and barley and beans and lentils, millet and spelt, and put them into one vessel. And make bread for yourself during the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, and you shall eat it. Now, I happen to think that he was doing this on his side. Now, that's got to be a feat in itself. Lying on his side, trying to get the, the fire going, trying to put all this stuff in there and make his daily bread. And so he, he says, eat all of this. On these 390 days you shall eat of it. And your food, which you shall eat by weight, is 20 shekels a day from the time that you shall eat it. Now, 20 shekels a day clears the bell, right? I mean, when you go to the store, you're like, uh, where's that 20 shekels of bread? (laughs) It's nine ounces. It's not a whole lot, is it? Pretty small. 
Not only that is, you shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hen, and from that time to time you shall drink of it, and that is about one pint. This is what he gets per day. Nine ounces of this bread concoction, these cakes as we will see, and one pint of bread. What is that for? He will go on to describe what he is doing. And you shall eat it as barley cakes. I know what you're thinking. Well, that kind of sounds good. You know, barley's coming back. And this was all an example when, uh, of those people back in. This was the bottom level. Barley was used for fodder for animals, not for human consumption. So he's about to launch into what it is for. So he says, you shall eat of it as barley cakes. Sounds great, doesn't it? Until you learn how he wants him to cook it. And I need you to (laughs) bake it using the fuel of human waste in their sight. (laughs) Who wants to be a prophet? Now, Man, my mind just goes on this, doesn't it? <laughs> He's like, I got to take a break. Goes out back, comes back. Man, sometimes working for God can be smelly. <laughs> but listen to Ezekiel. I like this guy. High five him when you see him. He'll have a shirt, Ezekiel. This is, this is what he says. And then the Lord said, So the children of Israel shall eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles where I will drive them. And so verse 14, this is Ezekiel. And so I said, "Um, Lord, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten anything that has died of itself or torn into beast or abominable flesh ever has come into my mouth. And I've never cooked on human dung. <laughs> Look how gracious God is. God said, <laughs> said to him, see, okay, I'll give you cow's dung instead of human waste, and you shall prepare your bread over it. Now, I don't know if you've ever cooked with cow dung. Anybody camping think to yourself, I'm running a little on fuel, ran out of the propane, saw a cow pasture, I got a great idea. Ran over there. And you know, everyone in there in the campgrounds is going to come. What is that smell? It smells heavenly. Not at all. By the way, this literally goes on around the world. Very common. Camel dung, different places in the Middle East. So don't think to yourself, ooh, this actually goes on. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like a minor step, but at least it's a step. Right, you don't have to cook with human waste, but you got the cow dung now. Moreover, verse 16, he said to me, said a man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread to Jerusalem and they shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety and shall drink water by measure and with dread. Do you see the point? He, he gets to all of the illusions that he wants to do, and he shows them, hey, listen, when they come out to you and say, Ezekiel, what are you doing? He's going to say, this is what they're eating in Jerusalem. Now, what you need to understand is that there are false prophets in Jerusalem 
and in Babylon saying that God is not going to let Jerusalem fall. There is no way God is going to destroy the Holy Land. And what God is trying to do is to counter their arguments and say, oh, it's absolutely coming. And I will tell you why that it is coming. And these are the conditions. Because you'd rather be in Babylon than be in Jerusalem right now. Is that heavy or what? Isn't that the Holy Land? He says, verse 17, that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. A terrible siege is coming. This is what God is telling them. It's coming to Jerusalem. So both bread and water will be cut off and the siege will bring anxiety and dread to Jerusalem and they will waste away. Why? Notice, because of their iniquity. Chapter 5. We're doing good. Now you, son of man, again his favorite phrase for him, take a sharp sword and take it as a barber's razor and pass it over your head and your beard and then take scales to weigh it out and divide the hair. So <laughs> um, he has laid on his side, left and right, he has ate very little food for over a year and a half. He's cooked on cow's dung. And now the poor guy has to shave his head and his beard. By the way, um, back then, and even in the Middle East today, you uh, to shave one's beard was a sign. Re remember King, uh, King David's officials? They came back and it, uh, they came back to David and the the enemy had, had shaven their beards and cut their clothes, pardon me, so that their buttocks was exposed. This was all bad back then. I'm pretty sure it would be bad today uh, if that happened. But to just shave one's beard was a big deal. It was a sign of disrespect. Now imagine Ezekiel has to cut his hair and his beard and he's not using one of those fancy electric things that I have that I can trim my beard with and trim my mustache or you know my wife cuts my hair she can she can do that real quick you know um, how many of you have cut your hair or uh, shaved with a giant sword <laughs> this isn't one of those flip out little Things from the 20s, right? Those blades that are all coming back today in the brush and dip it in. And I like my electric thing. It goes very quick. Other people like to just do the full-on shave thing, you know. But I want you to, next time, next time you see a long sword, just think, you know what? I could shave my head with that. Now, nobody shaves their head with a sword. You got the point? So when, can you imagine? It's Monday. Ezekiel's done with the left side, right side. He comes out in the square, got a chair and a sword. And they're like, and you know people are like, oh, we got to see what Ezekiel's doing today. What's he doing today? Ezekiel, what are you doing with that sword? Now remember, it's disrespectful. It's shameful. Ezekiel, what are you doing? Shaves his whole head and his beard. He says, take a weight and divide the hair. He says, you shall burn 
with fire one-third in the midst of the city, with the days of the siege which are, are finished, and then you shall take one-thirds and strike it with the sword, one-third you shall scatter it in the wind, and I will draw out a sword after that. Now, by the end of this chapter, he will describe exactly what these three parts mean. And you shall take a small number of them and bind it to the edge of your garment. So verse 3 is that this is speaking of the remnant that's going to be left in Jerusalem, just a small amount of people. Now, if God completely removed his people from them, then the wild animals and all of the land would just not be used anymore. And so there was just enough left in the land uh, to take care of that. And so... He says, then you shall take some of it again and throw it in the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. And from there, a fire will go out into all of the house of Israel. And thus says the Lord, this is Jerusalem, for I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. Now, God is describing finally this section about why he is doing what he is doing and how they have got to this point. But you hear, hear what God is saying. I put Israel and Jerusalem in the midst of all of the other nations. Uh, as an example, I put them there. I, God, put them there. But she, verse 6 was rebellious against my judgments by doing wickedness, listen, more than the nations and against my statutes, more than the countries that are all around her, for they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. It's huge. God, are you saying that the children of Israel is worse than the Assyrians? I mean, we've learned about the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, ultimately the Greeks and the Romans. What are you saying, Lord? He is telling us that the children of Israel have acted in more of a rebellion than anyone else, any of the other nations. Listen to what he says. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, verse 7, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are all around you. For thus says the Lord God, indeed I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgment in the midst, in the sight of all the nations. God put them in the center of all nations to be a blessing, and now that they have rebelled against God, He will use them as an example to all the nations of what not to do. Guys, you need to remember this. Israel was a blessed nation, a chosen nation, delivered nation, given God's word and God's precept, God's law, heard God's audible voice upon the mountain, saw God's ten plagues against the Egyptians, saw multiple miracles in the wilderness. God provided for them for 38 years in the wilderness so that their feet did not swell nor did their shoes wear out. Oh, as a parent... <laughs> 
Could you imagine not having to buy shoes for your kids? They seem to go through shoes really quickly as kids. God gave them his precepts. God gave them his priest, yet they, they disobeyed. And so God gave them prophets. God gave them kings and all of the warnings, and yet they sinned against him. This is what makes it so egregious. They sinned against privilege. This is why they are judged so harshly, more than the other nations. And it's sad in verse 8, and I, I don't know about you, but can you imagine God saying, I, even I, and bringing the judgment against them? And they have done all of these things because of their abominations. Therefore, verse 10, now to describe the siege. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers. And I will execute judgment among them, and all of you who remain I will scatter to the wind. God promised to do a terrible and a unique work in Jerusalem by this judgment. It would be so terrible so that they would resort to cannibalism. Those who survived, God would scatter to the uttermost, as it says, as the wind. Lamentations 4.10 says, The hand of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children because... Uh, I'm sorry, they became food for them in the destruction of my daughter and of my people, Israel. Leviticus 26, 29. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. This is way back in Leviticus. God knew that they would be a rebellious people. He gave them a choice to adhere to his principles or to disobey. Deuteronomy warns of the same thing, warns of horrific judgments that would come against the nation of Israel because they have rejected the covenant between God. And all of this was because they wanted the gods of the nations around. And they played the harlot and God warned them over and over. And they had terrible kings. And God said, you don't want kings. You want the judges. I have a great plan. No, we want kings. God says, you don't want kings. They bring high taxes and inflation. <laughs> they take your sons and your daughters. They take the best land. He continues, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord, surely because you have defiled, listen, my sanctuary with your detestable things, and with your abominations, therefore I will diminish you, and my eye will not spare you, nor will I have any pity. Earlier God said that Israel had sinned against him worse than the pagan nations. Here's one of the examples of that. You see, the pagans didn't have God's sanctuary. They didn't have God's temple. But the Jewish people did. And they did detestable things in the sanctuary. He continues and he says, now the description of the beginning of the chapter, verse 12. 
One third of you shall die in pestilence and will be consumed with the famine in your midst. One third shall fall by the sword all around you. And then I will scatter another third to the winds and I will draw out the sword against him. So from this, and by the way, this is the third and last siege of, of the, the Babylonians by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he had had it with them. They had rebelled. And remember, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are telling them not to rebel. God is warning the children of Israel, don't rebel. Just go and behave and do your time out and then come back. But they wouldn't listen. And so a third of them die by the famine, by the pestilence. A third of them are killed by the Babylonians. And then a third of them are scattered to the winds. And then verse 13. And then it says, thus shall my anger be what? See, God has a beginning and an end with all things. And he will pour out his wrath upon the children of Israel, and it, then it will be done. And I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be avenged, and they shall know that I am Yahweh, and I have spoken in my zeal, and I have spent my fury upon them. God's fury was poured upon the Son of God. And it was finished. And the son said to Telestai, it is finished. It is paid in full. That wrath that we deserve so freely for our disobedience, Jesus paid for that. He says, moreover, um, verse 14, moreover, I will make you a waste and a reproach, listen, among the nations that are all around you in the sight of all who pass by. And it shall be a reproach, it shall be a taunt, it shall be a lesson and an astonishment to the nations that are all around you. And when I execute judgments among you in anger and fury and in furious rebuke, I, the Lord, have spoken. What is so powerful about that is so when the nations go by, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, anybody... The Moabites walk by and they, I thought you guys said that you had the true and the living God. Man, if that was our God, we would listen. And you know the answer to that. No. But if God would do that to his chosen people, what would he do to us? That's the lesson. He says, I will send against them terrible arrows of famine, which shall be for your destruction, and which I will send to destroy you. And I will increase the famine among you and cut off your supply of bread. And so I will send against you a famine and a wild beast, and they will bereave you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you. And I will bring the sword against you. And listen how he, he just says, I've spoken it. I, the Lord, have spoken. In 593 B.C., Ezekiel pronounces this judgment. By 586, Jerusalem is destroyed. God gives them a few years of warning. 
but it's enough warning. Do what is right, because there is coming judgment. Well, <laughs> I don't know if that was a perky message or <laughs> it was a pretty powerful message uh, from God. It's heavy, isn't it? Ezekiel has a pretty powerful, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, man. He's got like high fives from all the other prophets in heaven. Like Hosea is like, I just had to marry a prostitute. <laughs> Sometimes we think, you know, I, I, would, I could be an apostle. I could be like that. In the other. Look, every generation has had its toughness. Yes? God is calling us to do really hard things. And sometimes that means in our personal life that we go through what we go through to be an example like Ezekiel in the public square. People may never, and you, you've heard this your entire life, people will never read a Bible, but they'll read you. They will read your life. How you went through what you went through. The diagnosis that you went through. And even if you lose your life, it's still a testimony to God. Amen. He is still our judge, our deliverer, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our night, for your word, for Ezekiel, Lord the prophet. These are powerful illustrations, powerful parables, Lord, these heavenly truths put alongside earthly things. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of Ezekiel to be an example in a community that, for the most part, was never going to listen to him. They were going to mock him, try to cancel him, but he needed to be faithful. Son of man. God called him to be. So thank you, Lord, for his life. Thank you, Lord, for our night and for worship. Lord, for fellowship, coming together as the body of Christ to encourage one another. So thank you, Lord, for our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this last song. Daniel chapter 1 on Sunday. Let's worship the Lord. Thanks to the Lord, our God and King is loving.